Professors FM. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast, where we take a in-depth look at sports and culture in any given week. Doug, I like to start with kind of a cold opening to see how agile you are on your feet. You know, it's a bad look in terms of celebrations. What's that? Cigars. The Alabama fans celebrating by lighting cigars after the Tennessee. That's, That's the tradition. And the WNBA champions lighting the cigars made for, to me, some of the cringiest social media video of the last week. Right, this is the first time I've heard Alabama football likened to WNBA team. It's clear so. to me that anyone was smoking a cigar in any of the videos. I think cigars are used as props. I think they chew on them. Yeah. They chew yeah. on them. They, they, they suck. They, they get the, the, the tip to light up, that kind of thing. But it's, it's a purely a prop at this point. Sort of. Yeah. I think yes. Saban, to, even, Saban even mentioned that when he got his. He's like, I don't smoke cigars, but I'll give me one to chew on. But that stadium, that Alabama Brian Denny Stadium, you can see, like, as soon as the game ends, it just becomes very foggy on television. Everyone, you get, you get 90, 100,000 people lighting cigars. I, I think, like, the people that I've seen look cool with cigars in, in sports, Joe Burrow, yeah. Joe Burrow, Michael Jordan, Kobe yes. Bryant. That's, yeah. like, the Hall of Fame cigar guys. And most people can't pull it off. Like, there's even that one goofy picture for Alabama football they're showing like how loaded that one team was in their locker room. And it has Mac Jones, Tua Tungavailoa, and Jalen Hurts all with cigars in their mouth after beating Tennessee. You know what it is? Here's and the test. It just doesn't look cool to me. I think you're onto something. It's the cigar. Look, I mean, I, I can't help. That I think this episode is going to be fairly scattered because there's <laughs> going on all over the place. There's some things out there like, can you do a TV broadcast without wearing sleeves? Can you smoke a cigar and look cool? Can you? And, and my favorite one of all time has always been: Can a man pull off a fur coat? And Ryan you know, Gosling. You, well, the names, yeah, Ryan Gosling, Ken, uh, Michael Jordan could have done it. Ray Lewis could do it. Joe Burrow could do it. It's the same list, I yeah. think, in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah, and WNBA team, can they do it? I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't see the video, the celebration videos. I, like, do they have a parade, Mike? Is that what you're I, alluding to? You, know what? It's, you can't. Okay, so I, I get all my WNBA news from ESPN and the NBA picking up and co-promoting either the WESPN or the NBA picking up the WNBA feed, right? Right. So seeing very curated stuff and – I mean, it just sounds mean spirited to say out loud, but there's a special skill to being a WNBA cameraman, right? Where you are showing, avoiding showing the crowds or lack thereof most of the time when, when you do these highlights. Well, I have no <laughs> idea if it was a victory parade or if there was a crowd in the background at all. I'm okay. I pulled up a video, Aja Wilson, and. Yeah, they're they're having some fun. They're they're definitely indulging in some alcoholic beverages, smoking some cigars. You're right though. The cameras tend to avoid the crowd. It's really f like zooms in real close on the players. Typically, you'll see them pan out to the crowd. 
a lot more. So I'm seeing, yeah, I'm seeing one from, yeah, I mean, it looks like a homecoming parade. I'm seeing one from from a fan from the crowd, a video on X, and the the players are throwing out T-shirts, I guess, and there's there's only one row of fans, so they're lined up for like a bus to come by, but there's only one row of people. So some of the shirts are being thrown out and just hitting the ground. <laughs> Again, I'm just observing the facts. Like you said, it, okay. it... Hey, hey. on the flip side, I'm on another video and outside of T-Mobile Arena. And it does look like quite a lot of people. They have a okay. World Champions banner and they have... It's not quite a NBA Championship parade or, or anything, but it might it might be like a MLB <laughs> World Series nowadays, depending on what city wins it. And, and again, I mean, I, I think that, look, when you go on social media and you look at the comments under any of these joint ESPN, WESPN, or NBA, WNBA posts, you see a lot of, you see a lot of, well, I think the right word might be negativity, Doug. And look, you mentioned baseball. If I'm just a passive observer from via social media, I am much more aware of what happened in the WNBA playoffs than I was in terms of the Major League Baseball divisional series, right? I mean, it's it's a yeah. strange world we're living in. I'll, I'll say this, and, and again, this is why I said it's going to be kind of kind of chaotic here because I think there's a lot of things going on that kind of develop some interesting themes for what we're seeing. The WNBA clearly moved towards this kind of narrative-driven storytelling this year of we've got the Las Vegas Aces. They're owned by Mark Davis, who owns the Las, sorry, the, the Las Vegas Raiders. Mm-hmm. Tons of money being poured into that franchise. I, I remember seeing a video on the Aces facilities. They're astonishing. I mean, they are truly first-class facilities. Uh, on the other side of the country, we have the the Liberty, the New York Liberty, obviously. And in the college ranks, we're already hyping the next generation of this rivalry between Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese. Now, on the other side of it, well, I mean, we, and I think we mentioned like co- men's college basketball. I don't know what the storylines are this year. Uh, do you know the name of a single men's college basketball player, Mike? Um, not that doesn't play for the University of Illinois. Yeah, and, you know, some so, conference. It's a very football. local, local fandom, not kind of that national magic this, bird. Yeah, none of this cover of Sports Illustrated back in 1983 kind of stuff. But on the other side, something purely organic seems to be happening with the NBA, and that there's this kid who doesn't even seem real starting to play in San Antonio. I, I mean, these highlights. I, I think there was a Paul George quote that he now buys into the hype because it doesn't even make sense what he can do. And I, every highlight I see, Doug, barely makes sense. It's like my eyes, like it's something so new that my brain doesn't have an automatic category for it. I, it makes perfect sense to me, Mike, because I created him on NBA 2K when I was a kid. And I didn't realize I was creating a real person, but I maxed out the height setting I maxed out the three-point shooting ability and ball handling skills and shot blocking abilities and dunking abilities. And I created a guy and it always looked kind of funny on the screen. But why did you minimize the weight? Right? Because that's part of it. <laughs> yeah. I, he, he does weigh in at, I think, 80 pounds. Something. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to put on some weight. I want to be surprised looking at like some players over the years to see kind of a Giannis Antetokounmpo type 
glow up physically in terms of muscle. You know, as we go into the NBA season, I think the last few years, it seems like it's always been, well, this player moved here and his friend came with him and we had this super team kind of thing. Going into the NBA, I'm not seeing those kind of narratives this year. I mean, it seems like we've got Philadelphia maybe about to implode. The Lakers is kind of this this classic team with these two older guys that might still be competitive. And everything Wemby, Wemby, Wemby. Yeah, it's been a long time since we had a rookie that really dominated the headlines going into the season. I mean, typically it is LeBron. Before LeBron, it was Kobe. And from a team perspective, no one really cares about the great teams. Like, no one's talking about Denver, for example, who just won the NBA Finals. I have not heard a peep about Denver this this offseason, this preseason. Just some odd clips of Jokic doing non-basketball things, right? And seeming to enjoy it a lot more than actual basketball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't – yeah. But we we still have that. Like Milwaukee brought in Damian Lillard, right, to pair with yeah, Giannis right. and Chris Middleton. Bradley Beal to the Suns, who were already stacked from a star standpoint. So the Suns now have Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, and Devin Booker. Three ball-dominant shooting guards and one offense. Well, that um, should be the – probably right yeah and and i think most years like going to, you mentioned earlier cover sports illustrated like i remember growing up as a kid and i remember the cover being the boston big three with kevin garnett and paul pierce and ray allen and then uh, years later lebron james chris bosh dwayne wade on the cover like this team what are they gonna look like like can you believe we're gonna watch these guys play together for 82 games and then some and that really being the big buzz going into the season. But I think like in recent years, the super teams have kind of struggled. Like Los Angeles viewed by many as a, like a semi-super team hasn't gotten it done in some time with, with uh, LeBron let me and AD. Off, let me read off the top five teams in the uh, top six teams in the NBA in terms of the championship betting odds. And you can react. Yeah. Yeah. So number one, Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics. He's... Seems like a guy that they they like and would literally like to see reach that next level of superstardom and win championships. Yeah, and Boston hasn't they, – they've been the kind of perennial bridesmaid for about – I mean, for Jason Tatum's entire career. Start, I mean, his rookie year, they were they were Game 7, Eastern Conference Finals eliminated. Is there something I'm missing? It seems odd that they're the betting line yeah, favorite. Yeah, Drew Holiday. I mean, it's like you would have thought they added Damian Lillard based on those odds. And I did but, speak too soon because the betting odds are actually even with between the Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. I think Drew Holiday adds a, a great defensive piece for a team that it feels like feels like an upgrade, but re-signing Jalen Brown, I don't know. I'm not a huge Jalen Brown guy for the Celtics. On the flip side, I'm a huge Damian Lillard guy, and I, I'm really intrigued by Damian and Milwaukee because Milwaukee's, they've they've won a championship with kind of their current group. They've But, of course, that was with Drew Holiday, so it was with kind of a defensive-oriented and not ball-dominant point guard. You bring in a guy that's very ball-dominant, not a great defender, and pair him with Giannis. It's it's kind of intriguing. Like I don't know if it's a fit per se. I felt like Miami was definitely a fit for Lillard, Giannis, but 186 million dollars. Giannis. Yeah, the extension, 62 yeah. million dollars a year. Yeah. Well. So yeah, I think I think a lot of people would have probably Milwaukee as a favorite out of the East. Okay. Um, it looks like the odds are even 
out of the West with the Nuggets and the Suns being the co-favorites to come out of that side of the bracket. Yeah, it's just changed in recent years. Like any other, I guess, pre, like, I don't know, before the Bucks won the finals, it's like every year, whoever your super teams were on each side was going to be the Warriors on one end and the Cavs with LeBron, Love, and Kyrie Irving. It was going to be, and, and so you, along that trend, you would expect it to be the Phoenix Suns with Beal and Durant and Booker against out of the East, like, of course, in recent years, the Nets were the team that, that really failed to get the job done and, and kind of created this expectation that maybe those super teams aren't always going to be the teams in the championship. And Philadelphia kind of with, with Embiid and, and Harden struggling to get it done. Again, not quite a super team, but maybe a player away. And then, and, then, and, then yeah, maybe imploding here. The next group, the Lakers and the Warriors. Yeah, and people have kind of forgotten about the Warriors as a contender. It feels like their time came and went, but, you know, still a team with a lot of talent, great coach, and the Lakers still have what a lot of people consider to be the best player in basketball right now. And Anthony Davis, who can't ever stay healthy or do anything in the playoffs. Doug, I'm just, like, pulling up ESPN to to get a sense if there's anything that is slipping my mind, and I see the the lead article on the NBA page, LeBron, comma, Wemby. And 20 years of difference between the league's chosen ones. Uh, I think I'm more likely to tune in to the Spurs playing just about anybody (laughs) than I am to tune in to like a Phoenix Suns versus like Boston Celtics game. Like I really, or Lakers Celtics or whatever. Like I I am way more intrigued by that. So I think the hype is warranted with Wimbenyama. I think the evolution of basketball we've seen over the years has kind of been Jordan being the GOAT. Um, with a pretty mid-range dominant game and and then with the evolution of the deep ball in the last decade or so the feeling being that maybe the next goat maybe the to be better than Jordan you've got to be Jordan and have the long ball or you've got to be Jordan's skill set and be seven foot tall because we've never had a seven footer that had the the package of scoring abilities say what what's Wemby's listed height he looks like he's ten feet tall. Oh, he's seven foot four, Mike. Okay. So nineteen uh, years old, seven foot four, and he's got an eight foot wingspan. Are the growth plates still open? Is every college family? <laughs> I there's no way they are. I mean, hopefully they are for the muscle growth plates. Yeah, and, and <laughs> this is something we've talked about offline, and I'll put this all out there as almost a, an open analytics question. So there, there's going to be a. With what I'm about to say, is it's it's going to seem like just kind of shooting the mouth off. But visually, when you see those highlights and you see that length, and I almost do think it's it's the arm length that might be the thing that really is striking. Yeah. That something registers, and you kind of and and your body goes to this place of that doesn't look quite right, which then alerts you to the possibility: is there a much higher injury risk? And again, I don't have data on this. But it'd be an interesting kind of data to collect with like these very elongated limbs and being seven foot three. What is the what is the prognosis for a career length? Because mm-hmm. look, I see these highlights, and like I said, it's it's stunning stuff, but it's so different, it almost feels alarming, doesn't it? Yeah, I think almost anyone would look at it and say, like, yeah, if he stays healthy, he'll be one of the top five players of all time. <laughs> like, there's almost, there's, it's hard to imagine 
him being a mediocre player if he were to fill into his body a little bit and just play a lot of NBA basketball for the next 10, 15 years. But the question then becomes, will he will he be able to do that? And looking at him, yeah, there is something about the eye test where you're like, oh, he's going to break. He looks like a toothpick. His legs always seem awkward when he comes down on his kind of layups where he's incredibly skilled in the air and, and kind of acrobatic. But coming down on those, when, you're, when your femur is... Or, or when your tibia and fibula are five feet long or however <laughs> long his are, it just looks it looks weird. The knee kind of pokes out and it looks like he's going to get hurt. But I will say, Mike, on the flip side, like yeah, someone like Zion Williamson coming into the NBA looks like he's built like a tank, tank built to yeah. last. And he hasn't been able to stay on the court. He's been yeah. another one where he, probably an all-time great if he could just stay out there, passes the eye test. And so Durant was one that, Everyone thought he was going to get hurt a lot. And I, Durant's, what, five inches shorter than Wimbenyama. So it's a different different frame, but same concept of this guy's long and lean. He doesn't have a lot of muscle. His joints look exposed. They look It looks like an injury waiting to happen. He's had a pretty healthy career, pretty healthy long career. Hasn't maybe won the amount of championships. But, but Wimbenyama, I, my closest... My closest player I've seen is Kristaps Porzingis coming in the league. Still, Porzingis not nearly as skilled, but he had he had a good three ball, super athletic guy, and shot blocker. And he was he lit the league up his first year, and one injury, and he's been a mediocre NBA role player ever since then. So okay, but bottom line, going into this NBA season, there's some interesting storylines, but my th- my gut thing is. I just want to watch this Wemby guy play. Oh, yeah. It's like I want to get season pass just for the the Spurs. I want to see him match, match up against Zion. I want, this is, I, I want to see all sorts of things. I want to see Embiid try and guard him. I want to see the, Zion guard him. The interesting thing about Wimbenyama when you watch him on defense is he'll get beat. Like, he'll get crossed up by somebody. He's got those long legs, and he's – He's a good defender, but he's smart about his length, and he'll he'll make he'll make a guard feel like they just crossed him over. He'll look like he's gonna fall over, and then the guy goes and shoots the layup, has him beat by three steps. Shot gets swatted out of bounds because he reaches. <laughs> I remember Brian Winhurst when Wimbenyama was in the draft coming out saying he's the only player I've ever seen who can protect the rim and guard the perimeter, guard the three point arc at the same time from the same spot because of his wingspan. And it's true. He could stand he could stand halfway between the two and he can block. He can just about block with his jumping ability and his arms. He can block a layup and he can block a three ball. And I guess the question is, do these guys figure out a way to adjust? Is this a temporary thing? And do they figure out a way to adjust to it? Right? Because, again, his reach is six inches longer than they expect it to be. Right? I think <laughs> All right. Or is it just impossible to adjust to it because it's just throwing off everything has to change in your approach? And so is he – we have all these generational talents, right? This clearly seems to be one. Yeah, the term generational talent gets overused, but this is not a case in which it's being overused. We have not – you remember Greg Odin or was that before your time? That's a case of it being overused. I do remember Greg. <sighs> yeah, I mean, and, and that's the one that – Again, that that sort of seven foot one, seven foot two player, but the injuries. I mean, yeah. a different kind of build, but that's the one that 
That's the I one never, that comes to mind. I never got the Greg Oden. I felt like Greg Oden was like poor man's Shaquille O'Neal. Like we've seen this type of player. This one's he wasn't as athlete. He wasn't as freaky to me as a Shaquille O'Neal. And well, I mean, but that's another good example, right? Because O'Neal was a freak. It was yeah. seven feet tall, but built like an offensive lineman. Yeah, he looked like he was going to play for fifteen years, and he did. Um, he he lived up to his hype for sure. If Shaq okay. if Shaq had a free throw, if Shaq could shoot a free throw, he might have been the best player of all time. Yeah. Well, he's and again, it's, it's kind of. I guess it's an interesting thing because these guys that we're talking about are unique physical specimens, and in some ways, so is Jordan, and so's so is LeBron. LeBron. Yeah. That they're that their their starting point athletically is just fundamentally different. And and again, the same thing with Zion, same thing with Wemby, that those are the guys that end up being on the at least have the potential to be on this NBA Mount Rushmore of all time. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, I'm with you, Mike. I'm so stoked for Wimbenyama. It's like I want him to succeed. I want him to become I want to see seven foot four Michael Jordan. <laughs> I, I want to see. I want to see him have a killer instinct. I want to see. I want to see him literally check every box. Be like NBA, create a player filled up to ninety nine on every single attribute. And then you want to know what I want to see, Doug? I want to see the reaction to it. Yeah. When suddenly something very different than what do we? How does the defense react? How do the the opposing coaches respond to this? I have, and again, that's the to me that's the beauty of it because I have no idea. I think I. <laughs> Basketball coach Doug here coming in, yeah. former eighth grade basketball coach. I think you got to attack him physically, like watching his G League, at least while he's still a stick. Because in the in the preseason, he had an undrafted guy that scored a bunch of points on him. Big old guy, just okay. elbowed into him, lowered his head, just okay, pushed him the out of the way. Okay, now if you're the NBA, and again, we'll sort of go a little conspiracy theory that the NBA and the NFL are not rigged, but they are managed. <laughs> yeah, do, yeah. You let, do you let that happen or do you protect this guy? Does he get the LeBron treatment, the Jordan yeah. treatment? What, the, oh, what if, if he, he flails? If he, yeah, if he starts flailing on those, he's such a lanky guy that A, <laughs> it would look hilarious. It would look really funny. B, if he gets the calls like LeBron did, it, it would be so unfair. I mean, it was it feels unfair with LeBron getting getting calls where he's able to lower his shoulder and they call a blocking foul on the defense. But then if if he's on the defensive, he's able to play as physical as he wants. This is coming from the perspective of someone pulling against him uh, a lot of the time. And yeah, if Wimbenyama got that kind of treatment, it would it would straight up be unfair. So I almost expect not to see that. And if it were, he'll become a hated player very, very quickly. Everyone will hate him because it would be oh, so unfair. And I feel he, like that was why a lot of people hated LeBron. Even better, right? I mean, what a what a great addition to this. He narrative. doesn't. His, the thing with Wimby right now, he does not have haters. Everyone's pulling for that guy. No one hates the Spurs. Everyone respects the Spurs. Everyone respects Pop. And then Wimbenyama, he's been a phenom across the world for years, and everyone's been excited to see him play. He doesn't have haters. He doesn't, he's not LeBron yet in that sense. No, very true. Okay, Doug, we also have MLB getting to their World Series. Yeah, and, and pretty much no one outside of the local markets really talking about it. It doesn't seem you mentioned earlier. I had, get, I had a media call. You want to know what it was about? A reporter called me yesterday. 
yeah. to ask about the impact of the pitch clock mm-hmm. on Gen Z fandom for baseball. Interesting. And my answer was conceptually, it was a nice idea, right? Make speed up the game, but they have to watch the game to okay. even know that that's <laughs> that that's happening. <laughs> I think we spend too much time together, Doug, because those kind of <laughs> actually tune in to know that the game has the game has changed. The TV ratings for both series, I think I saw numbers about in the five million person range. And again, in some ways, it's such a it's a depressing. Like I want to see baseball succeed. I, I'm going to say this: my dream job would be to be the I don't know some sort of chief marketing visionary for major league baseball like that to me that would yeah. be the quest for someone like me how do you rejuvenate mlb fandom because it's such a it's a look it's a classic set of brands it's a classic american sport that finds itself in in a tough position in in some ways you've got um, a lot you've got a lot more to work with than we give them credit for like major league baseball and its teams are I mean, these are storied brands with lots of history lots of people who are lots of people who will go to a game every year just to go to a game every year and there might not be anything that keeps them coming back to games but you've got a really nice starting point for for major league baseball and so i think you're right i think that is the dream if you and i were going to go to a game i would choose a a major league baseball game because i kind of would just want to sit there in the on the seats and and drink some beers and have a relaxing afternoon I mean, so there, and again, I mean, that, that might seem like a crazy way to sell the game, but you know, it has a real beauty to it that, yeah. that, that differentiates it from the other one. And, and so look, when I, when I look at the data, right, I, I see growth in basketball and soccer and, and look, it's a complicated issue because demographics come into play. The, the fact that there's been so many immigrants that are into soccer i think video games come into play i found myself going down a rabbit hole and looking for video game sales fifa number one you know that right fifa is the biggest sports video game of all time madden number two i think the 2k 2K? yeah is number three and then depending on the list mlb might have been fourth fifth or sixth after like gran turismo so kind of a and I think all these things kind of come together, the video game, the social media. And so you can imagine what we're going to talk about next. It's going to be our inevitable swerve to Taylor Swift, speed of the game. But like, I will never stop rooting for Major League Baseball. The market's in play. Dallas is number four. They just beat Houston number five. And then you got six versus six versus 10 in, in terms of Phoenix versus Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia matchup versus... Versus Dallas, not a bad matchup. I don't know what kind of number it does. I suspect it's less than 15 million, though, in terms of viewership. Less viewership than uh, Taylor Swift's box seats at an NFL game. Yes. So, yeah, I, and I think with Major League Baseball, I think a big part of it for me growing up was the fact that our like our teams in Little League were Major League brands. So I played for... The Red Sox. So I pulled for the Red Sox because I was a Red Sox. You know what I mean? And uh, hold on. Your fandom is one of the most confused things of all time. Georgia Bulldogs, <laughs> New oh. York Giants, 
Boston Red Sox. Well, no, I'm not saying I'm a Red Sox fan because that would be a lie. But I, yeah. I'm saying that there was an infrastructure, and I don't know if they, I, I'm sure they still have that to some degree, but there was an infrastructure of every little kid played on a team that was affiliated with a major league team everywhere in the U.S. And so you have this kind of default starting point of, oh, I want to go to one of their games or I want to watch them play or I want to learn about their players. And then soccer. I don't know. We did it. I know they do it for flag football. Like the NFL has like a flag football. And I think that's smart. I think it's a good move. I do too. Uh, I don't know about soccer. Soccer where it's like, oh, this is the Atlanta. This is the Atlanta. This is the United. I mean, maybe it's tough, right? Because it's always the United versus FC, right? Well, so yeah, because they, they, the team in the city are one yeah. name. But being the Cowboys in flag football, being the, I didn't become a Cowboys fan. But, but all that to say is there was kind of this infrastructure between that. And then back in the day, I've mentioned this a couple times on the podcast, there was this the computer video game kind of for, Gaming consoles when I was a kid weren't huge. Like might have been first generation PlayStation when I was like seven or eight. So before that, my brother and I would be throwing our, our controllers at each other playing like Madden 89 and 90. So, well, I, what I'm saying is like a 64 was kind of like standard, but it wasn't like today where like everybody... Every kid has a, an Xbox or whatever. And so we, we played, but back in the day, and I don't think these are as big now, but like these PC games, like, and I'm not talking about like hardcore gaming. I'm talking about you buy a disc, you put it in the computer and you play the game. And the biggest game that every kid had was called Backyard Baseball. And I, it's like so nostalgic because they discontinue. It's not a was thing. Is not MLB affiliated? It is affiliated with the MLB. Oh, okay. And so you had... They had their own kind of fictional characters, Pablo Sanchez. This, these are all backyard baseball kids. They're all eight-year-old kids playing pitch in the backyard. That's kind of the idea of the game. And then we would have our own backyard baseball games, like in real life, of course, like like every kid did. But then you also had Derek Jeter, or you had you had you had the actual. So I knew all the marquee MLB players as a kid, every single one. And for every team, and I, as an adult, I don't, I don't know, I couldn't list as many players as my like five year old self could, which is crazy. Yeah. But things like that game where it's like you've got kids who are invested, and I worshipped those guys when I would see them on TV, and it's like, whoa, it's really him, not just the animated depiction of him. Like it's the real, he's a real person. I mean, when you go back to where baseball fandom used to be, and the tops baseball cards, yeah. I would guess that seven, eight-year-old me could have named just about every starting lineup in the league. I mean, and that's that's crazy, right? Because it means that basically every eight to ten-year-old in America could name every starter a- across the professional league. That is so far gone from where we're at. And I suspect that the closest thing is is to like what you're saying is like if you're playing Madden. Then you know who all these guys are. It, it's all that's a yeah easier way to become an expert. That kind of keyword, an expert, than you know just watching the games. Yeah, and like and the the baseball cards were also huge for me as a kid. And I had the books where you'd put the cards in the slots and you just flip through page after page. And we would trade them. We had birthday parties. We would go to the baseball card shop, and every kid's 
would have an allotment of a couple dollars worth basically and you would go and you would pick out your cards and then and you could get little glass cases for them if you wanted and then you would trade them amongst each other and you kind of had this little currency of baseball cards as is seven to ten year olds probably and that was like a fever dream and and yeah i i don't know that i know that for my generation baseball was the sport for kids like yeah. between play you can play it from the age of like four and then you i'm a we, little surprised to hear that though i would have thought that you given your age that you would have said soccer was sort of the soccer was the, like secondary okay baseball was the sport and of course i'm one person so maybe somebody else would say otherwise but in my experience you're also growing up in the american south right and i suspect that part that has something to do with the story regional differences right yeah of course and so anyway small small sample size of one but nonetheless that was uh, there was this infrastructure between the games between the trading cards between the actual teams and the affiliated branding with the MLB teams. And then minor league baseball was like kind of a entry point for us as far as going to games. And that it was obviously very oriented towards kids and, and then going to a Braves game like in Atlanta was such a, it was so, so okay. exciting and so cool. And Doug, let me ask you that. I mean, cause, cause you're not there yet. I mean, if you have Doug jr. And a hundred percent, we're going. Okay. But if you have a choice between tickets to take your family to NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball, I got to think you're going Major League Baseball, aren't you? Yeah, especially especially if they're younger, you know. That's what I'm saying with yeah. the kid. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. So it's the there's such there's such an opportunity. It feels like it's weird cuz it's it's like they've probably been tapping as much as they can, but it feels like an untapped market. <laughs> it feels like this low-hanging fruit of... And so that is our segue, right? That Yeah. That it seems like this off, this overused phrase of we have to meet the fans where they are, which just translates to people aren't watching local media anymore. They're not reading the newspaper. They're sort of engaged on social media. That's where the, the key social groups are. That brings us to i mean look i don't don't think it's a positive and i think the the fans are rapidly turning on it turning on it which is kind of amusing that taylor has sort of worn out her welcome but taylor swift i think you referenced it right taylor Swift showed up to that game and the tv ratings to that game went to about 26 million people so more than are going to watch the world series (laughs) yeah and so this kind of you can call it social media, but where it really is, is just where popular culture is. And why doesn't Major League Baseball touch that popular culture? But as we move forward through the podcast, do you want to see any more Taylor Swift at football games, Doug? You know my answer, Mike. Always, right? More. Do you enjoy <laughs> no. that? The choreography between her and Mahomes' wife, I believe. No, and I don't want to see Mahomes' wife at a football game either. Like I, I'm not here to see Mahomes. I'm here for I'm here for some football. I want to see some guys hit pads. And so, yeah, I'm I'm amongst those who and, and Taylor Swift. I have an appreciation for what she does in its own space. And I think Taylor Swift fans, if you're at a Taylor Swift concert and they kept drawing attention to Brian Urlacher sitting in the 
and the the second tier and he's rest arm wrestling his buddy or something it's just like <laughs> i don't care like i'm here to see her i don't who would it be that got the cameras going at the taylor swift event <laughs> whoever Who is the- Travis kelsey just because I, of her i know but that he like he said he she's putting him on the map Who? maybe like justin bieber tom brady I don't think I mean, like, any sports rest- figure is going to restricted to sports, right? Okay, restricted to sports. Yeah. I mean, not even Mike at this point, it's funny with Michael Jordan because he's like, everyone knows he's the goat of like sports, but nobody cares if he's at an event. <laughs> you know, It's like, yeah, he, he had his time. Fans are not tuning in. If LeBron James should have a game. Yeah. Like social media would, would have a field day with that. But I think Brady is probably the closest thing we have, but I mean, it's nowhere near, it's nowhere near the passion that the obviously I comes heard, with Taylor. I heard from someone, I didn't see this that okay so these these taylor swift and travis kelsey events i almost wonder if there's like a run of show right okay she'll walk in with you and then she'll do this skit with your with mahomes wife with the right mom and- yeah. i heard i don't know if this is true that she kissed him it's their first sign of public affection but it was a kiss on the cheek which makes me think this is all completely fake. This is all just a publicist. I don't know, Mike. I saw him. I saw a picture of like they'd gotten out of a car, you know, an escorted car, and she had on this red lipstick, and he has kind of a mustache, but you could see some some red on his lips. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like it's like I don't I don't think it's just on the cheek, but okay <laughs> in public, yeah, sure. Okay, and again, right? I mean, it's. Our realm is our realm is fandom. This is the biggest story in sports media. Is this something that just annoys the fans though? At this yes. Point? Look at the comments on any post by the NFL or ESPN on Instagram or Twitter. Like literally read down the comments. They're hilarious. If you read down the comments on any one of those posts by ESPN or the NFL, it's just every there you cannot find a positive comment because i guess the ones that get up liked or agreed upon are the ones about like we don't care like please stop i never thought i was gonna unfollow the nfl on instagram but here we are like i'm i'm sick of seeing this people are losing their minds football fans are sick of it i won't belabor this point but it does seem to be a fascinating moment that we're at because that's exactly the same thing you see with like these WNBA championship posts. Right, right, right. The amount of coverage, the sports media seems to be coming at things from a different direction You're than a lot of- giving us what we don't want. Yeah, forcing what we don't <laughs> want. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the fan, yeah. like that's what you see on those comments. And so, by the way, one thing about the WNBA that, that we haven't mentioned, but since you brought them up again, did you see the last play? Last play of the season for them. Yeah. yeah, it came down to an air ball. Yeah, I don't. I, I just I don't know if that's I don't know if that's the highlight I'm posting if I'm ESPN. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, again, I I want to I actually Doug want to keep my comments about them mostly to media coverage and sort of fan reactions. I feel like I'm in. I'm just saying the media coverage, like on ESPN's Instagram, they posted like exhilarating last play from the WNBA finals and the play that I saw, this was the only play I saw by the way of the entire thing for that game was an airballed three as time expired. And then of course, if you go to the comments, 
every single comment is about the air ball and about the quality of play or, or, or whatnot. And so it's like they kind of set themselves up sometimes. They do, right? Yeah. They really and again, and, it's, and it's almost like are they trying to do that? Like because they you know, know they're gonna they're algorithmically gonna get a lot of comments and it's it's gonna or what I suspect has happened, right, is that they their metrics are wrong, right? They're they're thinking about engagement, so they want a lot of comments and they want comments in response to comments, replies. Yeah. And so this inevitably leads them to publish stuff that their fans actually don't want. And, and again, it's... Well, it's like, oh, we got 7 million comments. And then you read them all and they're all like, I'm going to unfollow you. I hate you. Please stop doing right. this. But but again, it's like, I I just wonder even what's what's happening, right? Okay, so they post this video. They post any of these videos. Immediately, someone responds with, who cares? <laughs> An air ball in the championship. They couldn't compete at my Y and my local Y. Right. And then responses of, look at these small men that can't let the women have any. I mean, <laughs> it's only one comment section again and again and again. Okay. Now, Doug, another one of these to move this back to the NFL, the Chargers fan. The comment section, right? Of this is tremendous. Look at the look at her enthusiasm. This is a plant. This is this a plant. She's actually a Vikings fan. Yeah. She's No, you're wrong. Her kid was playing on a Vikings youth football. Right? <laughs> yeah. She's great, man. She's mother of four, I think. Mother of four. That's a cool. I mean, I'm not going to lie. If you had video of my mother watching pretty much any sporting event as a kid, I'm not talking about my games. I'm talking about Georgia football. I'm talking about the 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 games on TV. Very similar. So I've got a great appreciation for women who are are super fans like that and that lady's awesome i think fan of the week for sure maybe fan of the year i love that oregon the oregon ducks yeah, photoshopped it, jer- yeah. it did or is oregon the winner in all this <laughs> it was pretty good it was pretty good what they did i'm sure their crowd got fired up from that and then the fact that they had the chargers bolts on it that the yeah, wrong color. so if you're uh, listening the oregon ducks like photoshopped a jersey on this uh, crazy chargers fan lady during I, their I their game photoshop it they just changed the color spectrum i think right because yeah, it's still yeah a- sure yeah. yeah so it was i guess chargers uni and, and oregon ducks colors which are kind right. of ever changing but and they could walk out in those uniforms next they week. They could come right? out in the powder blues for all we yeah. know they should do the that would be great if they did a chargers like green and yellow version of the Chargers unis in honor yeah. of that fan. Bring her out to the game, put her in a jersey. I mean, she she got some press though. She got she was on McAfee. She my first thought when I saw it was like we need to get her on Fanalytics. And then sure enough, she's she's all over. She's on ESPN. She's I mean, she's all over the place now. So Okay. But again, that kind of leads itself to the suspicion that it's a that it's a plant, right? Well, can we also remember that so the Chargers ranks, I looked, they ranked second to last on your fandom metric, Mike, Mike's annual fandom rankings based on data. And the Chargers also probably lead the NFL in viral fans the last two years because this is the second like, or maybe viral viewership. Second, extraordinarily viral fan video coming out of SoFi Stadium for the Chargers. Last year was the kid. He was he was all excited, and they were showing him on the jumbotron. And then he took off his shirt and started swinging around. I think we did a whole video for it and everything. Also, a Chargers fan. I think I, I think I remember saying like he was going to single handedly bring them up in the rankings. But now they've got this lady too. So they either have like a handful of fans, but their fans are awesome, and no one knows about it, 
or yeah. they they're very they've got either really great cameramen who find that one fan in the stadium who's just losing his mind at just the right time his or her mind and and of course the other possibility is that this is part of their strategy to create fandom we're going to fake fandom and, and it's like nothing draws a crowd like a crowd and so th- there's been a ton of speculation and the internet sleuths have been all over it investigating this woman's every step in her life and and there's mixed mixed results as far as what the conclusions are we're doing a sports show we're not talking about sports at all right i mean it's kind of well, it's fandom it's fandom yeah, it's like great. fandom to the extent people believe the char- people who aren't fans of the chargers believe that the chargers don't have fans so much so they're like fans of the chargers not having fans and they go and they research these people that are shown on tv to see if they're even real a hundred percent i mean part of the reason i started those fandom rankings is because this ends up being like this kind of very strange barroom conversation of I mean, especially in the SEC, go tell a Georgia fan that Auburn fans are better than them or Tennessee fans are better than them. They will, they'll stop you immediately and start to explain how that is not true, right? Yeah. And, and it's a bizarre behavior in some ways because it's like, wait, wait, you're not even, we're not even talking about the teams anymore, right? We're talking about the fandom passion. On the, on the other hand, right, it, it has some logic to it, right? You're part of a group. You're part of a subculture. You want that subculture to be the to be the best. Yeah. And, and they, they asked that lady on McAfee if she was paid and she's like, Oh man, I, I wish, like, I wish they'd pay me to go to games or whatnot. Are they but paying Has there been any developments? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure. Chargers embrace chargers. She should basically be the mascot. Like you, you should bring her to every game. She should always be on the screen going crazy. I think people would love that. I would go like if I went to a game and I saw her, I'd be like, oh, there's the lady. That's awesome. And she's getting everyone all fired up. It's that I mean it's kind of a spike squad was at Georgia. I've always thought that Doug, I love how you named her. That's the lady. Right? The lady, like, yeah. She's the lady. Yeah. yeah. I've I've always thought that franchises should embrace their super fans like that. Like should find, should accommodate them, should make should because it does it inspires fandom. It, it it's it adds spectacle too outside of the game. I think part of the reason so many people like college sports over the NFL, like I'm not saying all people do, but there there are so many people that feel that way is because they enjoy the pageantry. They enjoy seeing the kids with the painted chest and the kid, the crazy LSU fan running on the field and the the storming of the field and these like just the culture of it. And that every week there's this entertainment of just not as much from the games but from everything surrounding the game and so like for professional teams i think that they often lack that i think i've been to a lot of professional football games a lot of professional basketball games that felt clinical they're they're great at what they do the players outside of that though it can feel it, it's so professional that and so grown up and adult that there isn't that passion and excitement and so it's like fans like this are welcome and if i'm the chargers i'm i'm exploring how we can partner with this lady or how we can take advantage of the fact that she she's got that genuine passion and people are eating it up and it's it's, i think it's good for the brand let's move that way for a couple of reasons right i mean i i think a big part of it is moving these stadium tearing down the old multi-use stadiums and building these essentially shopping malls yeah with a sporting event and surrounded by a food court and some entertainment venues, right? Yeah. Um, the, the other thing is, right, they've the marketing 
turning these things into marketing events as well, right? Where there's billboards everywhere and they feel like you're in a there's, casino and, and look, the, there's the a sponsored, there's a sponsored yeah. something during every commercial. Yeah. Yeah. Every break is sponsored. So my favorite was when our Auburn football, Auburn, they built like the biggest scoreboard in college football history. I don't know if that's true, but it was massive. And it was like, wow, this is going to be amazing because fans are going to see this like you see replays on this it feels like you're at a movie theater like it feels obviously bigger than that but to scale it feels like if it's a kind of a theatrical like replay experience and then as it turned out they they probably took up 75 percent of the screen real estate with ads and they're different ads so they have golden flake and they have lays potato chips and they have lysol and they have like all these different things and and then like in the middle there's a, a small spot where the screen within the screen is where they're showing replay and so that that was that kind of diluted the excitement of having such a, such a big screen and such a pure experience as a sports fan yeah that's again it's all it's, it's interesting when colleges do that right because and the pro ranks, you can almost imagine the pro ranks, they're almost in this arms race, right? Where they feel like they have to, right? Because they always need more revenue to pay for more players. Yeah. Except, but for college, it does seem to almost, almost cheapen that, cheapen that experience when they bring in more and more of the marketing. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Pat McAfee, which brings us to, we, we were talking, we were texting a little bit offline, right? And Pat McAfee, has started to grow on both of us. It sounds like his time on game day is it's getting shaky. I don't know if it's officially that he's moving away from game day. I got to tell you, I really started to like it. I think that field goal kicking bit with the students was the best bit going on that. I think he added a nice kind of bro compliment to I don't know. Yeah, like to, and I, this might be a little unfair. I feel like we get a lot of cliches in sports coverage, and maybe his stuff is cliched as well. But it was a different kind of cliche. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. it was kind of a breath of fresh air. But it, it seems like he is in a tremendously polarizing figure. I think there's some data out there that 50 percent of the people don't don't like him out there versus 40 percent do. So it's 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 a tough thing. But I'm a little disappointed with this development. I'm I'm like I get it. I I think I'd like Pat McAfee as an alternative to a traditional broadcast when I'm watching a game. For example, the Texas Oklahoma game, his broadcast was all time. That it, it captured the chaos of a college football game so well in a, in a way that guys in suits really can't. And I enjoyed that to put him on the guys in suits suits show. He's such a dominant personality. And he's the loudest guy in the room, every room he's in. And so for people that for something with an established kind of formula to really shake it up as much as they have and a winning formula at that people love college game day and to take off a guy like David Pollack, someone who's articulate and in a polished way and in a professional manner and replace him with this wild, crazy guy who has these alternative broadcasts and he might be on drugs. You get that feeling when you're watching. I say, I say that not literally, but he has some crazy energy. And I think it's a lot for a lot of people. I think a lot of people it's jarring to the point of like, I didn't want to watch. I didn't want to watch some guy yelling and screaming this morning. Oh, here's the question, Doug, right? If again, sort of putting this all together, if the dilemma is meeting the fans where they are, right? 
And the next generation of fans is not sitting down for these college broadcasts. They want their content in 30-second social media clips or they like the fact that a guy is going to show up to the WWE and really get in there. Is this a... Is this the classic problem of you got two segments, one that doesn't exist, but you really want them to get involved? And so do you got to build a bridge to that, to that, to that next? I think it's got to, like, I think you got to do Pat McAfee's version of game day on Snapchat, on TikTok, on Instagram live, like a, a concurrent, but alternative version that encapsulates the same core product but in a different style. And I think that you're able to reach the, they are the resources to do that and you're able to reach different segments that way. Yeah. And and you're probably, you're probably right that that's gotta be the, that that's gotta be the point of connection. You really have to, you have to use the sort of the technology side of this as, as well to, to get the folks to come over. Doug, the only other thing I have to say about college football and I'm, we can go wherever you want to go with it. Alabama is inevitable. (laughs) <laughs> been saying it all year they're I'm number nine balls now they're they, like if they lose a game early see? in the season it's like pretty much guaranteed they're gonna be playing some good football and quietly sneaking up on the college football playoff race yeah just ticking up the ticking up the rankings right what, now what's amazing about that team and they were like this last year they they could have three or four losses by now they lost to texas that usf game i don't know if you watched it mike but they could have lost that football game the tennessee game i mean tennessee had a chance to to put the dagger in multiple on multiple occasions guys dropping passes in the end zone quarterback overthrowing easy passes in the end zone crucial turnovers at crucial times i mean that game very well could have could have gone a very different way and yet during all of these games when I'm watching, I know for a fact that Alabama is going to win. And it's not in this, oh, it's rigged and the refs are going to rig it for him kind of thing. It's this, just wait, the other team's going to screw it up and Alabama's just going to keep like steadily sucking the life out of them until the game's over. But I mean, they could, the narrative would be so different if they had lost this week or if they had lost to Arkansas last week. They won that game by three points at home. Like no. these are not great football teams that they are. Doug, I have never been the kind of guy that rooted for the New York Yankees or yeah. basketball. Yeah. But I think it's because of the structure of college football with this playoff that I find myself rooting for Alabama again <laughs> and again because they create so much angst and, and havoc. Yeah. Okay, so here's the scenario. Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game. Yep. So it's one loss Alabama team who lost – to Texas, who's on the outside looking in, right? Because Oklahoma's won the, the the Big Twelve. Okay, you take Alabama over the team that beat them. Yes, or the two-time yes. defending national championship Georgia Bulldog. Assuming there's a bunch of other undefeateds out there. In that scenario, Bama's got the head-to-head over Georgia, so they're they're going to be ahead of Georgia. Texas both has one loss. Bama. Texas the head-to-head with Bama, but if Oklahoma. <laughs> Have if, to answer no, no, but, have, but let me flesh this out. If Oklahoma but, is the Big 12 champion, that means Texas lost again because they would, if oh, Texas wins oh, out, they would play in the championship against Oklahoma. Okay. So Texas would be two loss, and okay. one loss Bama with a loss to Texas beats two loss Texas. So Bama's okay, in, Bama's in, inevitability strikes again. 
And the scenarios are really fun, though, this year, I think. Um, every well, year. Every year, yeah. And I don't know what it's going to, like, when, I don't, I don't, I'm not personally a huge fan of them changing it, yeah. of them adding teams. Maybe yeah. because my team tends to crack the top four in recent years. <laughs> Maybe if we were always number seven or something, I would feel like, man, they need to add four more teams. But it's, it's um, like anything else, like with the NCAA tournament, back when it was 32 teams, yeah. you eggshells if your team was going to make it now it's like if you're in a power five conference and you're a 500 team you're, you're going you're, you're, in. you're going. And, yeah. and your season doesn't really matter until those games <laughs> so yeah I, I think that the playoff the, the situation kind of with the pac-12s last year and them having several teams of course usc is totally out of the mix at this point after their second loss but several teams knocking on the door washington and oregon being the the one and two there Michigan kind of having a scandal, but also being the front runner coming out of the Big Ten, Big 12 with uh, t- Texas kind of seeming like their year until they played Oklahoma, Oklahoma struggling in, in a lot of games against lesser opponents, but continuing to win and, and still well positioned for the playoff. I think I still think Texas beats them in the Big 12 championship. I'll say it probably every week until it happens. But I, I just have that feeling with that that Texas team. They're going to do it. So. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens. I no, expect nothing the, different. How does the Big Twelve do their their playoff? It's just the top two teams since they don't have a divisional structure. Yep, that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> but it it sets up Texas Oklahoma. So can't you yeah. see can't you see that rematch? And can't you see Texas winning? I don't know. I I, I guess I like the way the SEC does it because it it adds like this a little this extra layer for craziness to happen. Right. Yeah, but on the yeah. flip side, the way the SEC does it is also the same way the Big Ten does it, and that yeah. makes the championship game pretty much worthless in that conference. Well, yeah, given the Big Ten put their top three teams into one division seemingly every yeah. year. Yeah, and there's been years like that in the SEC. Like, back when... I know, there were, but now... There have been years where Alabama, LSU, and Auburn were the top three teams. Right, but I'm saying the Big Ten has... The, the Big Ten's just like looking for that random year when Wisconsin's the eighth best team in the country. Oh yeah, it's it, it's it's like if the SEC had Georgia, Alabama, Florida, LSU, like everybody on one side, and then the other side's best team was like maybe Texas A&M will be good this year, <laughs> maybe Missouri will be good, maybe Mississippi State will have a big year, maybe even Ole Miss, who who is having a good year. So okay, I think. We have run out of clock here, Doug. So as always, more content at fandomanalytics.com. Talk to you next week. Thank you.